I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Motorsport Magazine for the very best of motor racing. Hello everyone and a belated Happy New Year and welcome of course to the Motorsport Podcast, the first one of 2010. Well last year, as you know, was our first year doing these uh, podcasts and I think so far we've managed to entertain at least most of you, if not all of you. And I think it's true to say that last year we were really finding our feet um, the beginning was on occasion it wasn't wonderful quality but now we have our friend Alan on board twiddling the knobs and sliding the sliders and I think uh, we've noticed a real improvement in that area but most of all we shall continue in 2010 to be outspoken we shall not hold back and we shall try to talk about what you the listeners want to hear So that means your feedback, and let me tell you right now, we really enjoy the discussions on our website after the podcasts, which seem to get most of you going, so that's fantastic. Don't hold back, it's good fun, it's what it's all about. Um, You may remember on the last podcast that both Ed Foster and Nigel Roebuck stated that Michael Schumacher would not return to Formula One racing. So as you can see, you are in the hands of the real experts here. I seem to think you were a third member of that, Robin. Yes, but I was <laughs> And in fact, pointed that suggested that he hadn't come back in the Ferrari because it was a, not a very quick car and he was frightened of making a fool of himself. Absolutely, Nigel. I hesitate to bring that up, but... No, 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 no. <laughs> me, uh, Don't hold back. No, no, uh, I'm just taking instructions from my wife who keeps telling me not to talk myself down. But yes, yes, it is true, it is true. Uh, Anyway, at least you all know out there, all around the world, wherever you are today, that uh, you are with the experts. And we can, we, we, we can now, we can now uh, apologise, of course, because Michael Schumacher is coming back to Formula One racing, as we all know, ad nauseam. So, what we're going to talk about today is just that. We're going to talk about Schumacher coming back. Will he be as competitive, etc., etc.? Pedro de la Rosa has joined Sauber alongside Kamui Kobayashi. Is that the best lineup the team could have gone for? 2010 apparently is going to be one of the most exciting Grand Prix seasons ever. Well, we'll be asking uh, Nigel, who's seen most of them, and Damien if they can remember another season that promised so much. Who do we think will be the biggest surprise of the season, good or bad? And finally, is this year going to bring rallying back into the headlines? Because after all, we have Kimi Raikkonen in the WRC, we have Ken Block and of course Chris Meek driving for Britain. And it's a long time since we had a British hero in rallying. And uh, of course, apart from all this, Damien will be telling us about the new magazine which comes out at the beginning of February. So let's start with Michael Schumacher and get him out of the way, shall we? Um, Nigel, 
Is he going to be as quick as he was? Will it be a damp squib? What do you reckon? Well, I emphatically don't think it'll be a damp squib. Um, whether he'll be quite what he was, you know, remains to be seen. The, the, the jury's out on that. Some people say, yeah, 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 just pick it right up where he left off. And others say, nah, you know, he's 41 and that can't be ignored. He may still be a, you know, sensational racing driver, but he, but he probably won't be quite what he was. So we'll see. Um, I've, I've talked to, um, since it was uh, confirmed he was coming back, I've, I've, I've spoken to a variety of people about it, uh, just to get their opinions. Um, and the consensus certainly seems to be he's right to come back because he clearly wasn't ready to retire when he did. Um, and I think you know we all we're all well aware of the situation such as it was at the time. I mean he was, uh, you know, not to put too fine a point on it. I, I think pushed out by Ferrari. Mm. Um, can, can we just talk a little bit about that? Because I don't think all of us do quite understand what happened there. Because he'd won <coughs> seven world championships. No, sorry, that's completely wrong. He'd won five world championships for that team. Mm. Um, why on earth would they want to push him out in favour of Kimi Raikkonen if that is what happened? Well, I think a number of things were involved. I mean, first of all, he was... Um, even then, how old was he then? He was coming up to 38. Mm -hmm. So probably the chances were, you know, the, the likelihood was he was, he was not going to race indefinitely, you know, thereafter. Um, that was one thing. I don't think it was so much that they thought uh, he's slightly on the slide, he isn't what he was. I don't think there was any question of that. But I think they were f thinking very much of the future, certainly, particularly Luca de Montezemolo. Um, and there's no question either that Luca had always uh, resented um, Michael's very strict rules about who he would have in the other car and who he would not. Um, and Luca felt that there was a, they needed to have another superstar tied up for when, as and when Michael did stop. Um, and in point of fact, uh, it was at some point in the middle of '05 that the letter of intent was signed with Raikkonen, mm. even though he wasn't going to. They knew he wouldn't be driving until '07. Mm. Um, and I think uh, so. Once Raikkonen was on board. Um, I think Michael could have stayed, but of course that would have meant his pal Massa being pitched, um, and I think he was probably, you know, reluctant to see that happen. Mm. And I think also, quite honestly, I don't think he, I don't think he particularly fancied the idea of being teammate to Kimi, no. which is odd when you think about it, because I think you know he would have annihilated Kimi. I mean, Massa has. So, um, you know, on on that basis, I mean, it is a it is a curious thing, but. Um, hmm. I, I think that was the position he was in. I, I think he was—he—he he, he probably could have stayed, albeit in circumstances he didn't like. Yeah. Um, and I think they persuaded him. Well, it's probably a good time to call it a day, isn't it? You know, getting on a bit. And uh, but I mean, I remember that. I—I never forget the press conference at Monza. He just—he just won the race. Um, and I mean, I've seen a lot of drivers announce their retirements over the years. 
Uh, and that was completely different from any other. I mean, he, mm. he, you know, he, he tears in his eyes mm. at one point. Mm. And he absolutely clearly didn't, was not ready to go. So that's why everybody I've spoken to, whether it's Andretti or Jackie Stewart or uh, Brundle or whomever, they've all said the same thing. Of course he's right to come back because it's still... Burning. It's still in his blood. Yeah. You know, and I mean, um, I mean, Mario pointed out, you know, since he retired, he has never, ever ceased to compete. No. On every available opportunity. Yeah. You know, he'll go to the other side of all the world for a, for a, for a kart race. Yeah. So it still burns in him, and he's... I think he's doing the right thing. I don't think for one minute he'll make a fool of himself. But whether he'll be quite the old Schumacher, I don't know. Damien, what's your take on this whole subject? I think he will be the same Schumacher. The interesting thing for me is um, it's not the same Formula One. And the pound-for-pound competitiveness of the grid this year, I think, is, is going to be much greater than he faced at any other time in his career. When you think about Button and Hamilton in McLarens, Vettel and Weber in Red Bulls, Alonso and Massa in Ferraris. Um, it's um, you've got potentially, depending on how Nico Rosberg goes, you've got potentially eight race winners. Uh, if if those four teams are as competitive as they can be, mm-hmm. um, those guys are. He's going to be a target for them because they're they're, they're all going to want to beat him. Uh, he, they're all going to be putting him in his place as, when they can um, I think if he tries any tactics that are seen as questionable he'll be barged back big time You know, Alonso never had any love for Schumacher um, I think the prospect of seeing Lewis Hamilton race against Schumacher is, uh, is a terrific one yep. it's one we never thought we'd see um, personally I, I think from what we've seen so far at very early days he's only done the GP2 test hmm. to date but he was very quick from all reports. Um, second quickest time, I believe, in, G- in a GP2 car. Um, I don't think he'll have lost anything, but I think the sport has changed. And it's going to be interesting <coughs> to see how he adapts to that. No, I think that's a good point. Ed Foster, what's your take on the return of Michael Schumacher? Um, yeah, well, having said that he definitely wouldn't come back because he was too old last time, um, <laughs> I'm going to do a complete U-turn and uh, <laughs> say that it, I, th- I think he will, as David said, cope very well. Um, there's, I was at a sort of a press conference the other day with a, a psychologist who dealt with Formula One drivers and things like that. And he said the thing with Michael's sort of mental approach to racing is if someone asked him, sort of someone went up to him before a race and said, you know, there's a new guy on the grid today. He'd ask, well, okay, who's that? He said, well, it's, it's someone called God. Michael Schumacher would come out and probably say, okay, well, I could probably beat him. And, you know, it's, it's that sort of attitude. <laughs> that I think is, is brilliant and the, well, well you know, even if his car isn't the most competitive on the grid at the start of the season um, he will be up there or thereabouts by the end and as Demi said you know, all these young guys against him and it'll be quite interesting with Schumacher and Vettel as well you know two both from Germany um, so yeah we'll just have to wait and see for the first few races Damien's point is very well made um, uh, when I was talking to Stuart he, he, he said that to him that's the most fascinating thing because he said he, he thinks in sort of round terms the last 15 years uh, until pretty recently has been a very very mediocre time in Formula 1 in terms of the overall level of talent mm-hmm. uh, and he said you know you think about it really who did Michael ever really have to worry about Quite. apart from Hakkinen Hakkinen was it Hakkinen was the only other 
comparably, you know, no, great this driver. Is... Now, you know, there are a lot of really, really good drivers. Who want to? And, we're, and we're, we're sort of almost back to the, you know, I think to the uh, sort of, sort of mid-80s in, in those terms. Yeah. You know, when you look at a, at a, a, a grid in the mid-late 80s and you think, wow, Jesus, there were so many yeah. real sort of superstar yeah. level yeah. drivers. And I think, I think that's the case now. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's no real make-weights in Formula 1 anymore. And uh, when has that ever been the case in the past? There's always been, you know, basically always been, you know, the, the top-notch drivers, however many there were, you know, whether it be three, four, five, but the, the standard would then drop off quite dramatically. Um, you, you look back to the 50s, that was definitely the case, where you had, mm. you know, a lot of gentlemen drivers, counts and various mm. other, you know, rich people, uh, you know, beyond the top-notch drivers. But you look, look now... There's, there's maybe a couple of drivers on the grid who may be bringing some money with them, who may have the, the benefit of their names, people like Bruno Senna, uh, Lucas Degrassi maybe. But having said that, they're still there on merit. They still deserve a chance at Formula One. Mm. And I think that the standard of Formula One drivers now is as high as it's ever been. Well, it's, it's, it's more interesting than I thought it was. <laughs> I, I, I have, I have, I'll, be, I'll be frank, I haven't been able to get too excited about this because I'd much rather wait and see what actually happens. But just to add my two pence worth, I would say that I spoke to Ross Braun about this and he said to me something that I thought was interesting and that was that he has never met a racing driver ever who has the kind of mental focus and commitment that Schumacher has, and he's never met one who's so fit. So I don't think, bearing those two things in mind, that his age is relevant at all. I I just don't think his age is relevant. What I do think is interesting about it, though, is that um, the racing will be, as Damien says, very different. And this year, it will be the person who, who understands best the no refueling, I think, who will have the early advantage. Mm. And I have a, a funny feeling that might be Ross Braun. So we shall see. Conjecture, but and we drivers, shall... which drivers? I don't know, Nigel. But I, I would, I would my, say... My, my immediate thought would be Jansen. Yes, I would say Jansen Button. And I'm, I'm, I'm also thinking about Fernando Alonso, who has a, has a good brain. Yeah, he has. Anyway, we shall see. Let, let, let's, let's move on at this point. Um... We're moving on to something very different, something right at the other end of the grid, or at least we assume it'll be right at the other end of the grid, which is the Sauber team, um, which was the BMW team and was the Sauber team before that, if you're still with me. Anyway, it's Sauber again now. And they've taken Pedro de la Rosa, who's been with McLaren for heaven knows how many years as as their test driver, and uh, Kamui Kobayashi, who put up a fantastic show for Toyota at the end of last season. Um, Nigel, what do you think of that as a, as a lineup in in what we've got to call one of the small teams? Yeah, um, I, I think I think I think pretty good. I think um, uh, I mean there isn't for a start there isn't a nicer guy in the paddock than Pedro. So I'm delighted to see him back, you know, racing again because yeah. he's he's like Olivier Panis. He was he did a wonderful job as a test driver for McLaren, but he was fundamentally an ultra frustrated yeah. uh, racing driver. Um, and I think the other thing you've got to remember about Pedro is, I mean, sometimes, Jesus, when he's in the mood, he can't half race. Yep. You remember that? You remember the drive yeah. in Bahrain yeah. when he was standing in for yeah. Montoya? Yeah. Most exciting drive of the race, wasn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'm very pleased to see him uh, him back in a, in a, with a race drive. 
And Kobayashi is, um, I mean, I must say, when, when Toyota announced they were going, my, the main regret I felt was that that meant almost certainly that was the end of we yeah. weren't going to see Kobayashi again. Because yeah. um, it was a pretty startling debut, I mean, those first, first two races <laughs> of his career. And the odd thing is that really there had nothing, he'd done nothing no. coming up to that to make us expect anything like that. So uh, it's funny how that sometimes happens. You know, um, it is. It is. It doesn't I mean, happen. The only the only Formula Three race Nigel Mansell ever won was was when some, I think it was the Chesaris. In fact, was disqualified. Yeah. And then he gets into Formula One, yeah. and, and it's Clay Ragazzoni was you know yeah. very similar. Yeah, yeah. You, you, can go, you can go the other way as well with Pico. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing with the, the junior formulas. You never really know no. how good they are no. until they get to the Formula One. You no. can have all the potential and all the results you like in Formula Three, but until you get into a Grand Prix car, I mean, you know, looking at Japanese drivers in the past, Takuma Sato was incredibly yeah. gifted mm. in Formula Three. Mm. You know, broke records yeah. and yeah. you know was was yeah. heralded as the, the great Japanese hope who would finally, yeah. you know, take Jap- Japan to become a Grand Prix winner. Um, Formula One, very talented, um, but didn't didn't really have what it no. took to, to step up no, to the, the top level. It's interesting. I think it's not so much to do with the cars. I think it's more to do with how how they can cope with the with Formula One itself and all that goes with that. The pressures, the commercial pressures, the political pressures, the whole game that it is. And Kobayashi, what I loved about his two races was that he was obviously completely unfazed by any of this. Uh, oh, absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. It was he was ready to get stuck in with anybody. Yeah. He wasn't overawed by. Yeah. Wow, that so-and-so mustn't yeah. go near him. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm really glad he's still around. Yeah, well, let's hope let's hope Sauber give them a good car. Um, now, here's one for our for our um, our older experts. That's you, Nigel, and uh, and <laughs> to a certain extent, you, Damien. Yeah. And we will, of course, of course, ask Ed. I, don't, I can't speak today. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> it really does look as though this year is going to be one of the most exciting Grand Prix seasons for a very long time. But, Nigel, um, we can remember other great seasons, can't we? That's the point. Oh, yeah, c- yeah. certainly we can. Um, let me think. <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> Give me enough time. Well, I'll, you know, the eight... Uh, yeah, I mean, there were, no, no, there were, no, of course. And there, there was, uh, of course, I mean, there, for a start, there was the, the entire Prost-Senna era, which was, you know, memorable in itself. Really, all you needed was those two, you know. Um... But uh, no, I mean, that, I, th- I think the similarity is um, the great years to me were the years when there were a lot of really top yeah. drivers. You get phases, you know, sometimes it's, it's good, sometimes it isn't. And I think JYS is right that we, I think we have just come out of a, of a sort of fairly mm. mediocre period. And, uh, and now, from that point of view, it's looking, it's looking really, really healthy. So... And, and you know, when it, in the end, that's what it's all about. In the end, whether you've got a great crop of drivers or not, and we could this year, you know, we we really could have four yeah. ultra competitive teams, yeah. you know. And if Renault come up with something decent, you know, we've been talking about the, you know the Vettels and Alonso's and Hamiltons. Don't forget Kubica. Absolutely. If he gets a proper car. Yeah. And, um Okay, but I mean, of course, it's going to. Be, it looks like being a great season, and we'll probably know more once we've seen the times in Valencia um, in a couple of weeks' time. But um, 
you weren't around for the for the great seasons that Nigel's ju- just been talking about, but you've obviously kind of <clears throat> you know about them. And what is it about this year that excites you particularly? Yeah, well, as, as Nigel said, there's so many people in in the hunt, and uh, with these, you know, so much depends on the teams nowadays. And we've seen it countless times before. If a driver doesn't have a competitive car, it's, there's nothing he can really do about it. I mean, you know, Lewis will wring its neck, but he's still not going to put it on pole. And uh, yep. it's, it's, it's package against package. It's not driver against driver. So with, you know, these four teams and Renault and things like that, um, with competitive cars, and hopefully they will be. And I don't think Ferrari and McLaren are going to make any of the mistakes they made at the end of 2008, beginning of 2009. Um, with the direction they were going in. And they've all learned from that. Okay, we've got new regulations and you know, the cars are be quite different, but a lot of the parts they can carry over from, this, from last season to this season. Um, so, yeah, as you said, I think it'll be very interesting. But, I mean, the, the opening sort of test at, uh, next month, you obviously can't tell a huge amount because you know quite what people are doing. But after the first four races, we'll have a better idea. And hopefully it's going to be a case of where we'll have maybe five, even maybe six different winners throughout the season. And that's what makes it interesting. You know, it was great to see Jensen winning six races last year. Um, but, you know, it was, it was great because, because of the situation he was in and where the Braun came from. But it, as sort of viewing, if you weren't British and you didn't like Braun, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly <laughs> exciting. You know, it's, the more winners you can have, the better. Mm. Yeah. I think that's what we'll have in 2010. Yeah. And, you know, from the past, I suppose that one of the seasons that people always look back to um, out of interest because of that was 1982. Because you had, mm. you know, the world champion yeah. Rosberg won a single race. And no one, no one won more than two. Yeah. No, exactly. That's extraordinary. Yeah. We could be an yeah. amazing statistic. Yeah, we could yeah. be in for that kind of. Yeah, yeah, we could. Yeah. yeah. All you hope is that there's not a team that gets an advantage early on. You you want them all to be you know as equal as they can be. And you know we've got a regulation change again this year with refueling, which is a a big change. And if someone like Ross Braun gets a jump on the, on, the, on the rest as he did last year with the diffuser rail um, it will change the whole colour of the season so let's hope that um, come, come testing in early February we see some signs that they're all level pegging and that's, that's the best we can hope mm. for in terms of you know, getting basically seven maybe eight drivers if Rosberg's up to, up to it in the, in the Mercedes um, really going for it yeah. imagine the headlines if Schumacher wins six of the first seven races next year it's, you know, it might be this quite same jubilant the thing that always amazed me about the Schumacher era was the, just the relentlessness of, of his mm-hmm. um, his record you, you know, you'd go to a Grand Prix and in practice sessions and qualifying sessions you just wait and you'd wait and then suddenly there would be purple sector times for, Sh- for Schumacher you know one, two, three pole position fast slapping <coughs> in practice whatever it would be and it, it was just every weekend for a, for a period there it felt like even though there were some some good battles you know, every now and again with Williams would come up with a competitive car and Montoya would, would take it take the fight to him you know but overall that era will, is just is just red isn't it mm. it's just a red era of yep. Michael Schumacher he was completely dominant yeah. and um, we were robbed really of seeing him fighting tooth and nail with a, with a, a rival head to head because he never had a teammate who could really take, take it to him week in week out or wasn't allowed to take it to him week in week out maybe but you know Alonso uh, in a competitive Renault 
um, in 2006, I think, you know, beat him fair and square. He did. And um, so did Mick Harkonnen, as you pointed out. Uh, yeah, and, and 2005, you know, both yeah. years, I think, Fernando yeah. won the championship. He, he deserved that. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Although no five Ferrari No, I think, yeah, I mean, history yeah, tells yeah. us, history does tell us, doesn't it, that we should sound a note of caution about things looking very exciting because uh, we do remember, don't we, at the beginning of this century, the, the beginning of the 2000s, every winter we used to say, well, next year's going to be a thriller, and then we see the times from Fiorano, and there were mm. Schumacher and Barrichello <laughs> a second up on everybody else, and, well, no. But this but is anyway. always a, a great time of year, though. I you know, look back to when I was a kid. It was this time of year you used to really get excited when you'd see new cars yep. coming out, new driver car combinations, yep. and the potential was always there. Yep. Whether that potential is actually ever delivered is, is mm. debatable, but you know the potential is there that this combination could could break through this year. This one could, and you just don't know what to expect. And that was that was always been the way. It, that, <coughs> I actually lost a bit of that during the Schumacher era because you you kind of knew what was going to happen. But um, we're getting back to that situation. We just don't know what's going to happen, and that's that's yeah. that's why it's uh, we're all yeah. hooked. And as usual today, of course, we do have questions and topics from you, our readers, our motorsport magazine readers, and our listeners. And the first one comes from David Fisher. And I like this one because David is saying that, you know, he used to go and stand in the paddock and get a great picture of Chris Amon, maybe even have a word with him or something like that. And nowadays you simply just cannot have this experience. And he's saying, my children won't have it, my grandchildren won't have it. Um, he's saying, am I just, you know, living in the past or could we not try and bring something like this back? It's a good point, Nigel, because it really does make you feel much more a part of it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, no question. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I'm... I'm uh, I mean, neither Damien nor Ed will have grown up like that either, but, you know, but, but I did. Probably you did too. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it was... Nothing better in the world. I mean, I, you know, I went with, I'd go, I'd go with my dad and then mm. you sort of, you know, leave school and you take your girlfriend, you buy a couple of paddock passes and wander yeah, around. Wonderful. And, you know, there are the stars. Yeah. Particularly, you know, in those days, of course, they weren't, they weren't hidden away in, mm-hmm. uh, in motorhomes. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 can, I can understand perfectly well what he's saying, but I'm afraid, you know, it's sad, it, but it, those days are gone. It ain't coming back now. No. The closest I got with We used to be able to smoke in pubs, didn't we? <laughs> we did, yes, yes. And as, as David Hockney's fond of saying, Absolutely. I mean, a, a pub is not exactly a gym, is it? No, and I like, I like, I like pubs when smoking was allowed and children weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the closest I got to experiencing that was uh, two two examples. Um, the, the old Brands Hatch tyre tests in the yeah. early 80s. I used to basically bunk off school for the day. My dad would take me up to Brands and we'd sit in the main grandstand watching um, all the guys working in the yeah. pits and they'd have a, a digital timing screen showing the speeds across the start-finish straight. And at lunchtime, they always used to go to the, the, the Grovewood suite for lunch and there'd be a gathering of probably only about 50-odd punters outside and they'd grab autographs off the drivers as they came out. And you'd, it'd be a bit of a scrum. And I was only about seven or eight years old. I remember getting knocked over and left sprawling on the floor. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. By some bloke uh, trying to get Watties autograph from all people, <laughs> which, um, which is you know incredible, really. But um, it is incredible. And, <laughs> and the other, the other, the closest I remember in terms of time of really good access was. Uh, for a period in the early 90s, I used to crowd marshal at Silverstone for the Grand Prix. And we used to go up on the Thursday. And on the Thursday night, you used to, to walk on the track mm. and get into the pit lane. Mm. And they used to let people wander down the pit lane on the yeah. Thursday night. And some of the drivers used to come out. And Schumacher, in his Benetton days, came out and signed some autographs. And I got his autograph. And uh, it was interesting because you, they were much. They were quite friendly. Schumacher was quite, you know, sure. very different to the the media character yes, he, yes. he kind of read about at the time. Was happy to engage with fans. And uh, I remember a couple of years later that stopped. That yep. didn't happen anymore. Yep. And Silverstone, there uh, might still be there. there. There used to be a little hole in the fence at the back of the paddock for autographs, and you were basically in, you know there was this cage basically. Yeah, yeah. It was like a peep show, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was awful. awful. Absolutely. It was awful. Better than, worse than not doing it at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, there's obviously the Formula One vermin queue up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 absolutely. Um, obviously, Formula One's you know it's not going to change back to what it was, but there are quite a few events that you can go to that these that these drivers also go to that, and they often when they, you know where they aren't at a racetrack and they aren't competing they're actually a lot of them are very approachable and I mean obviously the Revival and the Festival of Speed are both you know two events where you can go up and, and chat to yes, people yes of course of course. And, but also they you know things like these charity karting races I did this the Johnny Herbert one the other day and uh, you know Ricardo Petrosi was there and they're, they're very much you know, much more relaxed um, and you can go and chat to them and things like that and there's also the one at uh, Autosport International sorry for mentioning the name but uh, that's the racing you know, car show yeah exactly yeah, and it's will do nicely yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, you know you can get you, a lot of them enter and um, you can you can enter alongside them and race against them um, no I th- I, that's that's fair enough I th- but I think what David Fisher is saying at least I sense what he's saying is that if, if you could do it at the race weekend itself it gives you that huge extra element of enjoyment it makes you feel so much more a part of it because when you go and sit back in the grandstand or sit on the bank you know you can say to the guy next to you oh, you know i just i just been chatting to dan gurney in the paddock i mean he's a real nice guy and yeah. you know and there he is in second place or whatever i mean it just and i think i'm probably wrong here but i think the recession the worldwide recession the the economic problems we have in the world which are affecting formula one big time, whatever anyone says we may just see a chink in this armour at some point, I just think there are moves afoot I mean I know there are moves afoot to try and get the public just a little bit closer. Well, you, see, you see it with NASCAR don't you and, you know, and they're much better at you that do? kind of thing um, and why Formula 1 can't take a leaf out of NASCAR's but book Anyway, we will never... I, g- I think that is a particularly uh, American thing actually and yeah. I've, I've always been aware of uh, all right, I mean, I suppose you would say Andretti is an extreme 
example of how a racing driver should behave, mm-hmm. you know, with his public. But, but apart from anything else, Mario would just say, well, it's, it's, got, it's just common sense, isn't it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> if the public love you, you're going to last longer. Yeah. Um, it's also common and, sense. And so, I mean, he was always like that. Uh, Richard Petty was exactly the same. You know, never known to refuse to sign an autograph. So I think Americans are much more aware of, uh, you know, of the, the sort of importance of, you know, treating the fans properly. Let's, let's move on to another question from Chris Likens. Um, Chris's question uh, suggests that at a Grand Prix uh, weekend, we could emulate MotoGP, i.e. have at least two or three other races on the same weekend. And he mentions GP2, GP3. Well, we do have a GP2 race at the Grand Prix weekend on many occasions, actually, but I get your point. Um, more value for money, Nigel, I guess? Yeah. Um, yes. I, I can see what he's getting at. But as you, as you say, you know, we do have a GP2 race at, um, you know, at a lot of Grand Prix. In fact, we have two races, you know, one Saturday and one, uh, one Sunday. And we have the Porsche race and all the rest of it. I think, you know, I mean, <clears throat> we're, we're just talking now about how you can't buy a paddock pass anymore. So also the days are gone when... I mean, um, if, if you go back to the era of Jimmy Clark, mm-hmm. for instance, um, there were fewer World Championship Grand Prix in those days, but there were many, many more. Yep. There were a lot of non-championship F1 races and a lot of other important races of, of different kinds as well. And you would get, just as in the days of Sterling Moss, you could go to uh, Alton or Silverstone or whatever for uh, you know a big meeting, but not a, certainly not a Grand Prix. And you would have, I mean, I remember Alton Park in the spring of '64, uh, just before I went back to school for my last term. It was a national meeting. Jimmy Clark, the reigning world champion, was there. Mm, yeah. And he drove in three races and he won them all. Yeah, he drove in the, in the touring car race in a Lotus Cortina, yeah, yeah. the sports car race he also yeah. won, but also the GT race when he just drove yeah. in Walker's Alain. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is the reigning world champion. Oh, those were the days. They so, were the days. They were, so, they were, they were. So, yeah. of course, you know, you came away from that, yeah. uh, even quite a small meeting, yeah. thinking, wow. Yeah. You know. yeah. yeah. And, of course, we used, to, we used to have the Formula 3 race on Grand Prix weekend in Britain. Yeah. And it was so exciting. I mean, well, that, that was the, other, the other thing I think this question is getting at is that the, the support package for Formula 1 has become homogenised, that you end up with, you know, GP2, Porsche Super Cup. And that's about it. Whereas, you know, even as, a, as recently as the mid-90s at Silverstone, which always had the best support bill, you used to have the Formula 3 race, a Formula Opal race, uh, British touring cars, and some one-make series. You know, it was a real mixture, and you'd have a lot of races. You know, the Saturday of the yeah. British Grand Prix used to be fantastic. Yeah. I think part of the reason is that, you know, GP2 is already astronomically expensive. And as the drivers are paying for it, unless they're going to pump up the prices for the season you aren't going to get them going to every Formula 1 race. And I think it's the same kind of thing as GP3, whether, mm. you know, which rounds they can test at. And there's obviously a huge cost involved. And as someone mentioned, you know, Bernie is very much it's about Formula 1. It's, the weekend is not about anything else. It's, that's what people are there to see, and, and that's what people are paying for. And it, it does oh. come down to Bernie again, doesn't it? Because oh, absolutely. He, he, he owns GP2. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, and GP3, doesn't yes. he? Yeah. 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 So, um, but, but this is the reason why homogenise is the right, way, right word for it. 
Um, you know, I mean, there's a Porsche race at, at every European Grand Prix because because Porsche write the right check. Sure, yeah. sure. Simple as that. So everything follows um, a pattern. Um, I mean, everything's homogenised now. I mean, sure. it, it, yeah. you know, I used to. I, I have an enormous collect collection of, uh, of race programmes. That's always been one of my passions, collecting. Maybe you'd like to programs. buy some of mine. Perhaps we could talk oh, about maybe, it. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, you, you could make me an offer. All right. All right. I'll come and have a look at them. Good. <laughs> but they, I don't bother to collect them anymore. Oh. Because, well, no, no, no. I'm, <laughs> Formula One, I mean, Formula One programs now are all oh, yeah. the same. doesn't matter whether you were in, whether you're in Thailand yeah. or Patagonia. You just change or, the flag on the cover. Or yeah. Spa or whatever. South Korea. Yeah, they're, they're very, they're very, they're, in, they're identical. They're extraordinarily bland. Whereas, you know, for instance, at one time, you know, the Monaco Grand Prix program was not like any other. It was totally yeah. unique. And, yeah, I've got and a therefore couple worth, You know, therefore worth, um, worth connecting. Yeah. Yeah. The Monza programs but, were nice. You know, the Monza one. The Monza programs were good. They I were. Like they the were Monza wonderful. Program. I've yes. got some of those. But they ain't now. No, they're not now. No. They're all the same It's now. sad. It's just sad. Well, everything's homogenised, isn't it? Apart from Motorsport magazine. And we're not homogenised. <laughs> you should see us here. I mean, we're not homogenised. Um, actually, it's funny because uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm here today because at least I'm warm because our, our central heating boiler blew up. And, um, you know, talking about homogenisation, we are not allowed to have the boiler we want. We have to have a boiler that conforms to EU law and it has to condense something and condense something else up some other pipe and then something else has to go out in another pipe and this is the law. And if we don't want this boiler, we can't have one at all. Anyway, there you go. Um, shall we move on? Um, it's better. <laughs> yeah, interesting. The, the, editor, the, editor likes to, the editor likes to keep control here. Yeah. Yeah, he likes a bit of... Right. Um, this, is, this, is, this, this question is good. It begins... Firstly, I'd like to say what a great magazine and an interesting podcast listen. So keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much, James Robson. We like that sort of question. He misses the variety of engines. So do I. I think we all do, don't we? Um, are we ever going to see different engines coming back to Grand Prix racing? You know, different noises, different s cylinder configurations? I, I have no idea, Rob. I, I, <clears throat> I don't know when it was. Um, it was probably three years ago. Um, Mark Hughes and I were uh, asked to go and see Max Mosley. He was in the FI office in London. Something he wanted to talk to us about. Nothing to do with an interview or anything like that. So we went. <coughs> and... Um, we were there for... I mean... I guess he, uh, you know, he, he asked Mark there because because Mark is is extremely and very deeply involved in the in the um, in the the technical mm. side of Grand Prix racing. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Understands it probably much better than uh, just about any other journalist. We probably should just say that Mark and Hughes writes for Autosport magazine for people listening. Yeah, who don't, yeah, 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 yeah. The okay. Sunday Times and the BBC. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so not so much Autosport. And. Um, <laughs> Uh, and 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 I was there as a, as a uh, I can't remember what Max said a keeper of the flame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. such a purist, Nigel. Yes, 
How lovely. I'm sure we can tolerate you much longer. <laughs> but anyway... Sounds um, rather spookier. <laughs> it was. But he was looking ahead to, you know, in effect, to the next Formula One, or to, you know, Formula One in a few years' time. And he, he, he did actually say to me at one point, quite, and he meant it, he wasn't being facetious, we were talking about the spectators, and he said, would they miss the noise, Nigel, do you think? <laughs> and I couldn't believe he was asking the question. Yes, yeah. yeah, I, I, I said, you know, thanks, the noise is half of it. Absolutely. You know, and then he said, but I always find, when I'm watching a race on television, um, the engine noise is a bit of a distraction. Can't hear what the commentator's saying sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, well, I mean, right. the thing was, he, and he wasn't being facetious. No, no, I, I can believe it. Um, yep. But I, but it did strike me then. It, it, it does worry me. You're the, you know, you and Bernie are the most powerful people in motor racing, and and you're not actually sure of the answer to that question. In which case, you know. Mm. You've missed the point entirely. You, uh, yes. Well, I think you know. I think James Robs- Robson speaks for a great many of us, if not all of us. Yeah. I mean, you know, who could not be moved by a Ferrari V12 Formula One engine? You know, well, who, and whoever heard a Matra or heard or a Matra years ago. Yeah. I mean, yeah. no or, horsepower, but it sounded well, like absolutely. Or a BRMH uh, V16. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, Damien, be great, wouldn't it, if we could come? You know, if we didn't have every single car as a V10 and every single car revs to a maximum number of revs. Well, the only place you really get that kind of diversity these days is in sports car racing. If you go to Le Mans, yeah. one of the interesting things for me, I, I'm not one of these anti-diesel uh, people. I actually quite like the fact that, that this diesel era has existed because it's quite spooky watching the Audis and the Peugeots um, because you can always hear the tyre scrub uh, above the noise. of. You know, there's no engine noise hardly at all. Um, you wouldn't want every car on the grid to be like that, though. You know, it would be it would be wrong, but it's interesting to have a bit of diversity. And you've got different engine noises at the moment because you've got GT cars and sports cars wearing V10s and V8s and you know turbos, etc. Yeah, so it's, it's 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 much more interesting. I don't think for Formula One it's realistic to have uh, engine variation these days. I just don't think it's yeah. from an economic point of view. Um, it's it's just not going to happen. I don't think, and it's it's a shame. Um, I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to be proved wrong, but I don't think it's. I just don't think it's going to happen. No, I don't, in fact, I don't the, really the FIA are talking about a I world don't. engine, aren't they, for, for, for rallying? You know, I, 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 yeah, for, yeah, for touring yeah, car exactly, racing, homogenisation of engines for all. Ed, I mean, the noise is a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. You know, as Damien said, one of the, you know one of the best things about Le Mans last year was hearing the Aston coming. You hear it from you know miles mm. away, and it was just a, an awesome sound. And uh, you know that was that was part of it, especially at night, because you're not exactly you can't see a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but you know, just the noise of standing down at one of the chicanes on the Mulsanne Sound Strait, and you hear these things, full chat coming towards you, and you stand fifty hundred meters up from the corner, and you they're still full on the throttle. Yes, yeah, you know, and, and without mm. that, you you know that's that's what it's all about. So, but as Damien said and Nigel said, I I, I can't see it changing, um, as you know, everyone's squeezing their pockets and trying to keep the cost down even further. Um, it's not something that's going to become economically viable. No, I mean, I mean, you know, the sound of a Formula One engine now. All right, the V eight, but it sounds, it sounds, you know, to my ear anyway, remarkably similar to a yes, ten. It does. 
Um, but it's a, but it's it's a nice noise in isolation. It's a nice noise. When you get a pack of them and they all sound exactly the same, mm. then it just gets a little bit bland, and that's that's what we miss. It's, it's the, the you know the difference. The, the, at one time, you would know instant a matter. Yeah. You could just tell instantly. Well, yes, and it was always funny. Else and and. And I, you know, as for the silence thing, Maxon is, you know, would the spectators get upset? I mean, in '71, Lotus played around with a with a turbine car, yeah. um, and it raced several times. It raced, um, and it was spooky. I mean, it was complete. I mean, Amazon, Amazon drove it at uh, Monza, um, and to see this thing come out of Parabolica and then go out of your sight down to Cover Grande. Without here, without a sound apart from you know a little bit of tire noise, yeah. and it was going going quickly, you know. But that was great as a as a novelty. But Jesus, you wouldn't want a, a whole afternoon of no of that of nothing you know, with nothing else. No. Well, it's interesting. Andrew Frankel in our next issue that's coming out, he's written about uh, driving the Audi e-tron, which is a prototype uh, electric car which has a motor on all four wheels, a motor for each wheel, and. Um, it's a similar thing to his experience with the Tesla at Goodwood, which he drove um, uh, last year. Um, and you know, he said to the Audi engineers the idea of having a soundtrack in the car that you could play and you could choose you know, <laughs> configuration of engine uh, for your soundtrack. And they looked at him a bit nonplussed. But you, you, you can know. actually do that with road cars nowadays. You get some electric, and you can actually to go, you can request which sounds you want so you can have a you know a Ferrari V12 or you can have you yeah. know to, you can actually request them but what that would sound like on a smart car or something I think it would be a bit silly but you know I'd, I know what he was getting at yeah. Yeah. well yeah it matters I mean look, Honda spent an extraordinary amount of money getting the NSX sports yeah. car to sound yeah. just right no it yeah. did it sounded great as well it, it did but, they, but I mean they didn't just sort of it wasn't it wasn't by you know Happenstance. I mean, they worked at it until they, that's it. That's the sound we want. I, I, I think. I think the moment that's going to stay with me from today's podcast is the thought that Max Mosley did not understand that motor racing had to make a wonderful noise. It's particularly worrying. I think he was quite surprised by my response. Yeah. So that we really think it's as important as all that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, let's move on. Let's move on because we're running out of time. We've just got time for one more question from Sean Martin. And Sean says, is Fernando Alonso made of Teflon? How is it that Fernando Alonso keeps walking away from every piece of trouble that he gets involved, that he allegedly gets involved with? Now, it's, it's a good question because, let's be honest, Alonso has been uh, on the fringe of quite a few situations in recent years and yet... Uh, he is always, always, always the innocent party, e.g. McLaren and Hamilton, e.g. Renault in Singapore, etc., uh, etc. Et Nigel, um, any thoughts on that? Well, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I will admit freely, I, I, I don't know the true story of Alonso and Hamilton, 2007, and I don't know that there are many people who do. No. Uh, other drivers have told me there is more to it than I know about, or we, or we in the press room know about. Um, and one in particular said to me, murmured to me last year, 
one day Fernando will tell you that we all, all you guys the truth about that year. Yeah. So we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about the Singapore thing. Did he know about it? I mean, I'm a huge Alonso fan, but I will confess I find it almost impossible to believe that um, at least he, well, di he didn't say, what, what do you mean, stop after 14 laps? What do you, you know? I, yes. but, you know? But on the other hand, Pat's argument was, well, McLaren did it with Lewis in um, wherever it was, Melbourne or somewhere, which was true, you know. So, not an absolute, but Fernando is so smart. I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that he didn't think, wait a minute, this is... Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, <clears throat> let's face it, he's not the only one, is he? Who's got away with No, him? no, not at all, not and at P all. PK Jr., uh, who... Now appears to be looking at a future in truck racing. <laughs> um, you know, whether it, did he? Pat Simmons says it, the whole thing, the Singapore thing, was PK's idea. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Still, the fact remains he did it. Yes, if, <coughs> if you deliberately spin, and it. if you can be told to crash your car and you obey, mm. you know, to me that's not nothing. Ooh. And the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, other people walk away from all sorts of things, don't they? I mean, look, they at, look at the Trulli thing in, um, in Melbourne. Yep. You know, the whole Ligate thing. Yep. Don't remember Lewis being punished. No. no. Yeah, I mean, I think um, this may be not a very correct thing to say, but I do think that the way Alonso has handled these situations is part of the skill of being the man he is, if you see what I mean. Uh, he's very politically adept. He's a very smart guy. Uh, he's a very ambitious racing driver, and I think it's all part of modern sport. Um, he wants to... He knows where he's going. He wanted to go to Ferrari. He's got there. He wants to win more championships. He probably will. And you've you got to be quick on your feet, haven't you? I think although it's been very hard to, to pin a penalty on him for anything yeah. you know, that he's done, I think it would be impossible, actually. But in terms of his reputation and perception of Alonso, that's certainly changed... Uh, since um, the, the year with Hamilton and McLaren, because oh, it has no question. You know, uh, to the British no press question. or generally, would you say probably more to the British press? I must admit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, you know that that year was a very odd year in the sense that you could palpably sense this almost. Um, you know, there was there was a, 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 a big big divide in the press room. First between Spain and the British <laughs> press, then between the Italians and the British press following the, the Ferrari uh, situation. Mm. Um, and it, it really did, uh, you know, people found themselves on different sides. It was really strange because we're not, we're not usually in that situation. No, Nationality never really comes into it in no. the press room, at least. No. You know, even, even during the Schumacher years, I don't think. No, no. But it did that year. And Alonso, I, I, as Nigel says, there's definitely a, a story to tell there about that, what really happened at McLaren that year. And I'd be fascinated if one day he opens up and talks about it. He's not very press friendly, and I, I don't know if he ever will, but let's hope he does. Um, Ed Foster, are you. Sorry, Dick. Sorry, sorry carry on. Yeah. Are you a fan of Alonso, Ed? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's. Um, I, obviously, the season with Hamilton sort of. You know, there is, as everyone says, there's a lot more to learn about it but uh, you know the thing with Formula 1 is everything has forgotten so quickly you know I mean it was only the beginning of last year that Hamilton was in this Ligate thing and a few races later we're all saying you know great well done Lewis he's putting this team around McLaren doing a great job and, you know these things they do pass very quickly 
and um, Alonso had the had the bonus of having his sort of two or three sort of bits and pieces of a couple of years apart, which I think certainly helps because you've forgotten about the first one um, when the next one comes up. So, you know, I think I don't think any any Formula One driver is squeaky clean, and I don't think anyone in Formula One is squeaky clean either. You know, it's, it's one of those sports that's competitive. People are going to want to be at the front, and they'll do a lot of things to get there. Um, but no, Alonso is certainly one of my one of my favourite drivers, just because uh, he goes out and he and he races and he gives a hundred percent, and that's why people like him. And it's hard not to like someone who does that. Well, yeah. we may not have seen anything yet, guys. Who knows? We've got Button and Hamilton in the same team this season. That might make interesting viewing, I reckon. And we've got John and Anthony in the we same have, team as well. We have family Button and family Hamilton all under one roof at yeah. McLaren and it could be very interesting indeed. Damien, let's uh, finish today's podcast with uh, news of what's coming up in the new magazine which of course comes out in about 10 days time. Yes, the uh, next issue of Motorsport, the March issue is available on the UK newsstand on February the 5th I think it is. Um, Lotus is our subject, looking at um, the new F1 team uh, with you, Rob, um, but also looking back at Team Lotus. Now, we've been quite uh, sceptical, I think is the fair word to say, about this new Lotus team because Mm. it's not Team Lotus. They've made it very clear, to be fair to them, it's not Team Lotus. It's a very separate entity. Are they just piggybacking history using that name? Um, we've, We've done a bit of a poll of people associated with Team Lotus, engineers, mechanics, drivers... Um, and you'll see what they think in the uh, in the new issue. Makes for quite interesting reading, um, and uh, lots of other things in there. One thing that uh, I should mention: Simon Taylor's had lunch with Robin Hurd, the one of the co-founders of March, and a, a brilliant engineer, a very intelligent man, uh, very entertaining. And it takes place in somewhere a bit different. And you'll see where he he had lunch with with Robin. Uh, lots of other good stuff. Um, track tests, usual things, track visits. Um, Ed went to uh, Villain uh, Hill Climb, which was uh, uh, entertaining as well. So, yeah, lots of good stuff. And also a look at the Virgin, the new Virgin F1 team as well, ah, yes, which will yes. be interesting about the, the genesis of the team, where it's come from, how Richard Branson's got involved, and how Nick Worth is trying to build and design a Formula 1 car using CFD technology only. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, I can't wait. Um, I, I love Motorsport Magazine. Just as, just <laughs> I do, just as much as you all out there do, and I'll be getting my copy hopefully on the 5th of February as well. I hope you don't have to wait too long out there in the United States and down there in the colonies for it, but it will be on its way. So thank you very much, everybody, for joining us today. We'll be back next month with Mario Andretti. Now, that really is something to look forward to, and we'll give you the date of that as soon as we can so you can put it in your iPod or whatever you do these days. Um, Thank you very much to Nigel Roebuck, to Ed Foster, and to our editor, Damien Smith. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Motorsport Magazine, the audio podcast. 